So how many of you are super excited that the Oilers are doing really well this year? Yeah, yeah. How many of you, like me, are angry that the Vancouver Canucks are sucking bad? It, just from the, all of you watching online, every hand was up. <laughs> I just lied from the pulpit. Worse than lying in church, I just lied from the pulpit. So, yeah, that, that's it. This is my last sermon, obviously, so let's make it a good one. I remember as a kid, I, I, I remember the, 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 the trend that started happening with naming rights. And all of these large stadiums were built. And in order to get them funded, there would be these community events that would happen. And, and there would be this private, public government funding. And it would be this name. And the stadium would be named after uh, the particular company. Uh, that, had, that, had, that had decided to, to fund this large endeavor. And I love the fact that General Motors was the one who sponsored the, the new Vancouver Canucks stadium, um, arena in Vancouver. And, of course, it became GM Place. And those of us who are from the area affectionately referred to it as the garage. And there was the new stadium built in Victoria, and I, I live just north of Victoria, and it was called the Save-On Foods Memorial Arena. And I felt they lost the opportunity to call it the sofa. <laughs> and so no one else would join me, but I affectionately referred to it as the sofa. Because there'd be nothing better than going to a hockey game and watching your team lose, at least being comfortable while it's happening, right? But of course, names are important. Nobody wanted it to be called the sofa because it's not a very sport-like name. We uh, take great effort and care in naming our children. I wanted to name Caleb Bubba. I was convinced it would be the perfect name. Karen totally vetoed that, and it became his nickname, so you can call him Bubba from now on. But she named him Caleb. And Caleb is the name of my grandfather, and so there's this history that comes in, that he's the namesake of a man who lived two generations ago. Names are utterly important. In Scripture, we see the name of Jesus, and it comes to us early on in the work of Isaiah and the prophecies that he gave. Now, he was living at a time where there was great decay, there was open idolatry, there was enemy uh, armies marauding Israel. The northern kingdom had already fallen. King Ahaz had come to the throne. He was an evil king. He was pro-Assyrian, and they were facing hostilities from Syria. They were under threat from all sides. And one of the things that Isaiah did is he reminded the people where their hope was to be found. It was to be found in God and not in the powers that surrounded them. And he prophesied about these incredible failures that these enemy armies would face. And in that, there's this moment where he speaks of this future hope. And he has, in effect, naming rights. That God gives Isaiah this incredible privilege 
to clearly develop for the people of God this sense of an amazing future. And this one who is named is one who is going to change absolutely everything. So that in the moment where nevertheless it is dark and there's failure all around, Isaiah says that the despair will not go on forever. He's saying to the people in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of what is bleak, in the midst of these marauding enemies who are pillaging us, stealing from us, capturing our people and taking them into captivity, you can have hope because this will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. In the midst of what seemed to be hopeless, Isaiah is sending this message, you can find hope in our creator God. Now, I don't know about you, but the last little while, a message like this is kind of water for my very thirsty soul. Because we have bad news after bad news after bad news. And of course, this week, we saw even more bad news as waters washed out roads, took out people's livelihoods, ended people's lives. And it just feels like at the end of 20 months, it's like, what is God doing? Now, we're not facing marauding armies. We're not facing threats to to our life and to our places. But after this length of time, it starts to become a wearying experience. And it's into moments like this that I think the words of Isaiah just penetrate and get right to the center and the core of the matter. We can find hope. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms blood-stained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. He's going to break war. He's going to bring peace. He's going to rule with justice and righteousness. And that rule is never, ever going to end. And he has these four paired names. You see, in a human way of looking at these things, the names we'd want to give is warrior. We'd want to give uh, uh, this, this deference to this powerful king. 
and we might have different adjectives to describe him, but the adjectives that God directed Isaiah to use begin with wonderful. The very first word describes Jesus as wonderful. Goes on to say he's a mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's referring to his supernatural ability to lead. It's instead of the kind of bad counsel that we get from other human beings, he gives this wonderful counsel. He can lead us through any situation. He has a wisdom far above any human being. He's mighty and he is God. This son is identified with the very creator showing us that this is something different because no other person in human history has ever been assigned the name God. We're talking about something spectacular that's coming. And of course, we look backwards on the events of Christ. But these people first hearing these words of Isaiah, they didn't have the Advent story. They didn't know that Bethlehem was going to be this amazing place in history. But I think like us, in the midst of the challenges that we face today, we too are looking forward on some future return of Jesus, not knowing how it's going to turn out, but we, like the people of Judah, can trust in this future of the, this mighty God who's going to set all of this right. But you see, here's what's spectacular. He's also called Everlasting Father. And we spoke last week about our earthly fathers, and some of us have great relationships with our earthly fathers, and some of us have strained relationships with our earthly fathers, and some of us have horrible or no relationship with our earthly fathers. Even the best of our fathers don't compare to the father that God is for us. And here that same descriptor of God is applied to this Messiah, this one who will come. You see, the people requested a king. They were in the midst of the judges. It was, it was inconsistent. And they were looking for something that would be established and last forever to give them stability in an unstable world. Now the kings and the monarchy failed and consistently failed. But the permanence of this monarchy, the one that is named Father, will go on forever because it speaks of his concern, his care, his discipline, and his love for his people because they are his children. And this benevolent Father, this wonderful Father, this mighty Father will rule from the throne forever. But it won't be the kind of rule that human beings give. One that benefits the ruler. It will be a rule that is based in peace. Because this prince is caring for our well-being. He's seeking harmony. He wants us to have peace with God. For us to be whole. To be complete. He wants to rule us in a way that benefits all of humanity. This is a profound image. It's an image that stands in incredible contrast between the role and the rule of Ahaz, who was ruling at the time this was written, to the kind of ruler that we so desperately need and we so desperately seek. 
It's a devotion to justice in practice and in principle, and it's guaranteed by the activity of God. Again, I don't know about you, but the thought of somebody in charge who loves me, cares for me, and is powerful enough to do something about all the things that are broken gives me incredible peace. We're not there yet. We still live in the now and the not yet. That God rules, but He has chosen to remain away. He's present with us, but He hasn't yet set all of this right. And so like the people of Judah at the time of Isaiah's writing, we look forward to something profound. But I think it's meant to give us peace now. It's the end of gloom and a return from, to hope. It moves us from darkness to light. From distress to gratitude. Into a new era and a new future that doesn't begin at some distant point in time. But it can begin right now in our own lives and in our own hearts. Now let's try and take this and make this a story we can live out. I think what's profound about the words of Isaiah is that it does bring to mind for us the good news that God is with us now. You see, Isaiah wasn't saying, yes, it's horrible today, but it's going to be, ter- it's going to be better tomorrow, so just ignore everything that's happening around you, do your best to keep your head down, and one day God's going to make this all well. He's saying that God is with us today, He's with us now, and even while you're under threat and oppression, God is working on your behalf. And the good news is that God wants to turn our darkness into light, our conflict into shalom, our loss into abundance, and our despair into joy. And He wants to do that now. So while we yet live in the not yet and we look forward to this future where Christ returns and he lives out those names in real time, the good news is that he also wants to make a difference in your life right now. I prayed this morning before coming here and I asked God, help me to internalize this message. Help me to have a sense of that peace, of that wonder, of that security in spite of all the things that are happening around us. Because what I've become to realize increasingly is that if we look to our external reality to shape our internal reality, we're always going to be buffeted by the winds of change. We'll be up when things are up and down when things are down. But if I can tie my life and my sense of well-being to the stability of our Creator God, the one who came and died on our behalf, then in spite of what's happening around me, I can live with the peace today knowing that God is going to set this right. And there's these patterns that happen in this story. You see, God is doing something. He's taking and He's acting on the behalf of Israel and Judah. And He's saying, I'm not going to leave this alone. I have a plan for you, and that plan is going to change everything. 
And what that means for us is that our darkness will become light. In Christ, that happens when we come into a saving faith with Him and our whole trajectory of life changes direction. But He's saying no matter what's happening around you, this isn't your future. And we get to live into that so that what follows is we have an increase in our joy and we can rejoice together as a people before God knowing that this isn't how it ends. You see, God comes into that and he gives us this act of deliverance. For Judah, it was saving from this army that was coming to destroy their city. Ultimately, it was the coming of the Messiah and a completely different way of our living so that we can lean into Jesus, abide, so that we don't take our wellness from something other than the the life source himself. And so we can live in the fruits of the victory that comes through the life of Jesus Christ. You see, when God comes, when Christ comes and rules in our hearts, it's the now of this coming kingdom that can live in real time no matter what's happening around us. And we can find that peace today. You see, Isaiah is offering us assurance that there will be fulfillment of this promise. God's unassailable zeal and determination will see this done. God will concentrate his efforts because he is sovereign and because he loves us. And so nothing will stand against the one who will see this finished. It's a message of hope that functions as reassurance that God is still in charge and that he loves us so deeply that he will not and has not abandoned us. So no matter what we face, whether it be light and joy or despair and war, in all of that, Jesus still walks with us. This is the naming rites. This is Jesus reaching down and naming you as mine. So that when you face whatever God has brought to you, whatever circumstances are dealing out to you today or this week or this month, you can live in the peace that there is one who reaches down and holds you tight. It's a sign that God has not abandoned us. And I think this is really, really good news. And so my prayer for us this week is that this would be an encouragement. In whatever we are doing, in whatever we face in the next days, weeks, or months, that this would bring a love that is beyond compare. That you would feel peace and joy and hope as we move through this coming Advent season. And that you would take that into this coming year, which will be filled with challenges. We know that. But it will also be filled with the incredible privilege that we 
are called his beloved. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you called us your own. Lord, we ask that no matter what is happening in the lives of our people, that you would plant in our hearts your name. That we would know throughout our entire selves that you are not only love us, but you are in love with us. Lord, for those who need a message of hope this morning, I pray they would sense your presence so deeply that they would know they do not walk the darkness alone. Lord, for those who are celebrating this morning, we thank you that we get to lift up our voices to you for the great gifts you give us. Lord, for those who are tired and weary, we pray you give us strength. Lord, this morning as we decorate some trees as a community, I pray you would help us to strengthen one another, to remind one another that we have each been named and that you have that right. Thank you, Lord, for the love that you give us every single day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.